All right, good morning once again. Let's go ahead and open God's Word together. Uh, this has been a great morning already. It's so exciting to celebrate baptism and just to hear uh, how God's working in our youth group. And uh, our, our teenagers are really eager to use their gifting to, uh, to, to honor the Lord, but also to help lead us to a place of authentic worship. So guys, thanks for uh, leading us. And they'll uh, have one more song uh, here at the end of the message this morning. So... Today we are continuing in our Our Father teaching series, our learning adventure through the Lord's Prayer. And this is week number four? No, five. Psych. Week five. And today's message is called Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Um, if you grow up in church, you hear a lot about uh, evangelizing or sharing the good news, doing those kind of things. And some of you love it. A lot of you don't. It's, it's intimidating. It's scary. You know, you don't know how to start those conversations about Jesus or about the life with God. Um, and I'm not like an evangel evangelizing superhero. Uh, I'm way too much of a uh, whatever personality type doesn't like those things. I'm that. I'm a middle child. I don't like confrontation. Those things. But... One way I do like to initiate spiritual conversations with people I meet or I get to spend time with is to ask a question like this. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? <laughs> Just kidding, that's not what I ask. Um, <laughs> I hold a lighter under their chin and say, is that hot? <laughs> well, hell is ten times hotter. <laughs> Actually, the question I do like to ask is, what do you think God thinks when He thinks about you? What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you. And uh, I like this question because it's a little less manipulative. It's a little less uh, threatening, usually. Um, I also like it because it's usually in the context of a conversation that's already happening where they find out I'm a pastor, uh, that I've committed my life to following Jesus. Um, it usually opens up some good dialogue, which is really what you're looking for, right? A good discussion about what it means to be human and what we were made for and what God's idea might be for our lives. It opens up good dialogue about how we see God, how we see ourselves, and uh, really kind of exposes some of our religious assumptions. Would you believe that every single person on the planet has religious assumptions? They assume things about what religion is what God is like and what He desires, what He wants us to be doing or not doing. We all carry with us religious assumptions. I remember one time I was working a shift on the ambulance um, and my partner and I were driving back from a long transfer. I believe we were coming back from Nevada, Missouri, which is pretty far out there. Anyway, we had a long transfer, so that meant we had a long time to talk. And uh, so I asked him what he felt uh, God thought of him. Because usually people would say, find out I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, well, I better watch myself. And I'm like, yep, you better. <laughs> but usually later in the shift or the next time I'd work with this partner, they'd say, hey, you're a pastor. Can I ask you a question? It just always followed this familiar arc. So anyway, we had kind of reached that point where I was able to ask him, hey, what do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? Um, he thought for a minute before responding, and then timidly... He said that God was probably not happy with him because why? Why do you think he said that God probably was not happy with him? He wasn't happy with himself. He wasn't happy with himself, but usually what people will hit on first is because I haven't been to church in a long time, right? That's kind of where our brains go oftentimes. I haven't been to church in a long time and I might cuss too much. 
I think he threw in drinking too. I might drink and I probably cuss too much. Therefore, God is cracking his knuckles, ready to fire a lightning bolt at me. God does not like me because I haven't been going to church and I've got a potty mouth. That's the religious assumptions that my friend had, my partner had that day. So this created a good conversation opportunity, a good opportunity to talk about some of the things that I'd like to talk uh, here today about with us. And it's this. Would you believe that God is more interested in you and your heart than He is in your behavior and your moral conformity? Okay, what God's looking at first and foremost when He looks at you is you and your heart Desiring a relationship. He's not looking first at your behavior and moral conformity. Scandal, I know. But this is what I believe when I read Scripture. What I see Jesus revealing to us. What I find as Jesus comes to reveal God and His will to us is that God desires relationships. God desires relationships. He desires intimacy with His children based on familiarity based on love, based on honor, way more than us just staying in line, way more than us just rule-keeping and our rote obedience to a list of do's and don'ts. I mean, we get trapped in that, thinking that we just got to work the checklist and God will be happy with us. It's a little unsettling when we realize that really God wants, He wants us to live well and to live rightly to live how we ought, but he wants that to happen in the context of a healthy, vibrant, life-giving relationship. At heart, understand this, God is a father. God is a father. And he desires to be expressed as such in the world. He desires to be known as such in the lives of his people. You, me, we are to go out living in this understanding that God is more than just our creator, and our sustainer, he's also our father. We are part of God's family. This realization can be a little bit jarring for us, though, can't it? It can be a little jarring to us. Um, although we've said the Lord's Prayer a zillion times, we're still a little uncomfortable with the idea that God is our father and that he actually loves us. That he actually likes us. That God desires closeness with you. Is that still a little unsettling for some? We don't know exactly what to do with that. That God would want to be close to you, familiar to you, in relationship with you. Over and over again, we've recited, Our Father who art in heaven, yet still at some level we feel far removed from the idea that we are God's kids. That God is somehow our dad. Our dad, that there's this invitation to, to be familiar with God and call him dad. I mean, the Bible word we find here with Jesus and with Paul is Abba. Abba, which is an Aramaic word that actually means my father. My father. There's a, there's a, there's a, possess, you are mine and I am yours. There's this connection, my father, that God would be our dad. Like I said, Jesus, along with the Apostle Paul, invites us to understand and address our Creator God as being familiar, as being close, as being personal, and also intrinsically involved in our very existence. 
Let's gather around and let's listen to what Jesus demonstrates. And then let's hear also what Paul says to us. Look at Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, verses 32 through 36. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief, grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now let's hear what Paul has to say. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And one last place, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were, who were slaves to the law so that he, he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has spent, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. There it is in plain print that God has adopted us, purchased us for himself, and made him, us part of his family. Now we are no longer slaves. We are his children, and we can call him Father. Abba, my Father, our Father. Isn't this remarkable? I love how liberating it is. God's desire was for us to be no longer slaves to the law, but actually alive and free in His family. Think about your relationship with Jesus for a moment. Consider your conception of God for a second. How does the idea of God the Father really make you feel? How does that sit with you? Maybe it's been a while since you really thought about this. When you think about my God, my Father, how does that make you feel? How does this degree of familiarity with God affect you? Is God really a Father to you? We know objectively, yes, but to you. Do you receive that? Do you understand that God is your Father? Can you really say... Abba, Father, my Father. Or does your personal language, your religious language with God, does it resemble more, uh, or is it, is it more reminiscent of being in trouble or, or being in the military or being in court? 
I mean, think about it. Do you talk to God as Abba, Father, or is it more like, uh, what seems to be the problem, officer? You know, when you stand before God, you know, was I, was I doing something wrong, officer? Uh, yes, sir, general, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. I, I promise not to do that extremely dumb thing again. But he did the extremely dumb thing again, right? I mean, we know. I find myself standing at attention before God too many times. I mean, more, I mean, there are times, of course, but I find my vernacular, my, my language with God is sometimes very stilted and very ooh, afraid rather than very at home and very welcome. Here's an important thing to notice. How we speak to God is not necessarily a statement about our commitment to Him, but it definitely speaks of our comfort level with Him. How we speak to God betrays uh, a more positional than relational association. It kind of identifies where we are in relation to God and how we are in His presence. Our ingrained religious impulse can easily, can easily lead us to expect a rigid hierarchy, a, a, anticipate this vertical arrangement in our interactions with God. We can easily see ourselves as lowly worms squirming before His holy throne. Yet while God is indeed high and holy and other from us, He desires us to come close. God desires us to know Him and to be known by Him, to love Him, and to become more and more at home in His presence. So what do we do with that truth? What do we do with that which Jesus reveals to us, that Paul talks about here? That the Creator of the universe desires to be close and cuddly with His kids. What? Yeah, that God wants to be uh, close and friendly with you. With you and me, God wants us, He is inviting us to come close and call Him Abba, to call Him Father. You know, it's not just you. We all struggle with striking that appropriate balance between reverence and fear, between trust and intimacy in our life with God. This being the case, I find it super helpful and really super meaningful that when teaching His listeners how to pray, Jesus begins with the words, Our Father. From the outset, Jesus addresses this situation we find our, in which we find ourselves. He starts by saying, Hey, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father. So I wonder if anyone around Jesus that day is like, Whoa, hold up. We can say that? We can come and say, Our Father? Like we belong in the family? We have a place at His table? Our Father? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray like this, Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So due to familiarity, because we've heard this so many times, we rarely hear how startling and how radically comforting Jesus' words here are. Jesus demonstrates a couple things in starting the prayer guidance He gives with our Father. As we approach God, we can know two things. First, 
that invitation into God's family is for everyone. Everyone is welcome to come into God's family through faith in Jesus. It's not just for the spiritual elite. It's not just for the pastors or the rabbis or the, or the, the Pharisees. And two, we are welcome to make ourselves at home with God because He is our Father. We're welcome to come into the house, take our shoes off, and act like we live there because we're part of God's family. In other words, our prayer life, our interaction and communication with God is meant to take place in the context of community and kinship. Community and kinship. So first, our prayer life with God is intended to happen in the context of community, necessarily taking place with others. Please notice that Jesus isn't directing his guidance here on prayer to the priests. He isn't saying, hey, priests, pay attention, or hey, nobility, people of means, pay attention. He's not saying, hey, religious elite, or you professional Christians, pay attention. No, he is speaking to the regular, the ragtag bunch of people that have gathered around him that day on the hillside. He is telling them that they can and they should go to God in prayer individually and together. The Expositor's Bible Commentary explains it this way. Throughout the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the reference is plural. Our. Us. In other words, Jesus teaches a prayer to be prayed in fellowship with other believers, other disciples, not in isolation. Many of us have been raised to think that prayer is a private practice, that prayer is really just a private discipline, a personal discipline. But here, Jesus frames his idea of prayer in the context of others, of community. Now, this doesn't mean that prayer won't happen in private. Clearly, it should and does. Jesus himself regularly demonstrated this, didn't he? Jesus demonstrated private prayer. Uh, he often retreated just to be alone with God. So hear me say clearly that it's a both and. If you practice prayer in private, be aware also that prayer is intended to be practiced together. But here's the thing. Prayer, both private and public, is a primary way that God builds solidarity, unity, trust, and maturity among the faithful. Yes, by all means, practice prayer. Make that a regular part of your life with God in those quiet hours. But then when we gather together, let's make prayer a big part of who we are and what we're doing. Okay, so prayer is intended to take place in community. Secondly, Jesus makes it clear that prayer thrives best in the context of kinship, kinship with God. It thrives best when you have a settled sense of belonging. When you and me, we all have a settled sense of belonging. That's not based on your behavior. It's not based on whether you cuss sometimes. It's based on what Jesus has accomplished for us and what we've expressed through faith in Him. A settled sense of belonging. Jesus intended much by encouraging us to address God as Father. And to his first century Jewish audience, I think it's always important for us to try to put ourselves back into that context. To a first century Jewish audience, him saying, start by addressing God as our Father. This was remarkable. This was startling. Maybe a little bit scandalous. That you could call God, Yahweh, my Father. The Expositor's Bible Commentary unpacks it this way. The fatherhood of God is not a central theme in the Old Testament. 
Where father does occur with respect to God, it is common by way of analogy and not direct address. So in the Old Testament, we talk about God as father, but you don't talk to God as father. Not until Jesus is it characteristic to address God as father. Jesus himself addressed God as his own father, and then he goes on to teach his disciples to do the same. Such an address to God could only appear familiar and presumptuous to opponents who were used to emphasizing God's transcendence. Jesus' use of Abba was adopted by the early Christians, and there is no evidence of anyone before Jesus using this term to address God. Now, one of our friends, Philip Yancey, goes on to further explain it this way. He says, no one in the Old Testament directly addresses, addressed God as Father, whereas Jesus did so 170 times. So all of a sudden, Jesus bursts onto the scene and introduces this idea that we can address God this way, talk to Him, and does so 170 times. The model prayer Jesus gives deals with the stuff of daily life, God's will, food, debts, forgiveness, temptation. And His own prayers showed a spontaneous communion with the Father that had no precedence. His disciples, who were no novices at prayer themselves, marveled at the difference so they asked, teach us to pray. Teach us to do that. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about that there was something about how Jesus prayed that made those who were well-versed and lived in a community saturated with praying would go to Jesus and say, you've got something here. You're doing something here that's different. There's something alive in what you're doing. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to do that. When we pray, our Father... We are praying a mouthful. Jesus gave us, in fact, a whole prayer in the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. Do you realize that? In our Father, our Father, we are confessing some astounding things about God. We are, we are confessing some astounding things about God and also about ourselves. God is a loving Father and we have become, by faith in Jesus Christ, His beloved children. Have you ever thought about that? When we say, Our Father, we are making a confession there about who God is, but also who we are because of Jesus. In confessing God as my Father, I am surrendering myself into that terrifying yet transformative space of familiarity and growing acceptance that cries out, Abba. Abba, Father. In confessing God as our Father, I'm identifying and associating and giving myself to the community of the faithful, embracing God's family, and joining with all believers in all places and times, locally and globally. You belong in God's family. God desires to be your Father. Why? Because God loves you. God loves you, and He desires to be in relationship with you. He desires you to be a part of His family, to become one of His children. And it all begins by trusting in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus was not just the firstborn from among the dead, but the Bible also says He was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That we become brothers and sisters, joining through faith in Jesus, God's very own family. And I pray that you would do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement we find in your word. I, I thank you for the time 
to sit and to listen and to focus in and find that these two words that Jesus instructs at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, these two words open up a whole new world of understanding. It's so liberating, so inviting that we can stand with Him and say, Our Father. Lord, may our confession of, of who, who You are and what Your desire is like and of what that means for us and how we can enter into and belong in your family. God, I pray that that would just shake us. That it would help us break free of all the, 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 the rigid uh, confines of our religious assumptions. Lord, when you think about us, you think about us as your children. If we've trusted in Jesus, if we're following after Him, if we're saying, Jesus, your way will be my way, we find that that way leads us to God's presence, to your presence, God. God, I pray that you'd work that truth deeply into our hearts. Lord, this morning, uh, we want to be available to your Holy Spirit. We want your Holy Spirit to speak, to work, to draw us closer. God, heal our misconceptions. Heal our, our, our wayward assumptions. God, many of us were raised in situations and in, in, in actual families that make understanding what a good father might be like difficult. So God, I pray that you would bind up those broken hearts. I pray that you would uh, start to replace some of those broken experiences. God, be at work in this place. We'll sit with you. And may your Holy Spirit speak, we ask in Jesus' name. We're going to have one more song, a little bit of worship. Yes. I would like to offer the first prayer I ever learned. Okay. I'm from a German battle. Okay. With Abba, Lieber, Father, Amen. Abba, Lieber. Say it again. Abba, Lieber, Father, Amen. What does Lieber mean? Love. Oh, okay. Love. So That's beautiful. If it's my, if Abba is my, be my love, Father, that's neat. I find that Abba translates into a lot of different languages, too, if you've ever done a word study on that. But thank you for that. We're going to sing one more song, but this is an opportunity. This is a gift we're given to sit with the Lord. Do nothing else but sit and to pray. Uh, Dale and Sue are over here, and um, they're available to pray with you. If you'd like to just stand, sometimes it's good to just pray with somebody. I think they're going to be back at kind of the crossroads area. I'll be up here with Christy. If you want to pray, uh, Curtis and Kendi are at the back there. Um, no pressure, but this is an opportunity. So let's make the most of it, okay? Let's worship together.